When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of Talking Real Money Quick, the podcast that kind of fills in when the regular Talking Real Money podcast isn't around and adds to the conversation every week. It's your way to get some questions answered if you can't call our regular show on Saturdays. And please feel free to call us with almost any money question at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm Don McDonald, and thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before we get to the calls and other questions and the uh, last five keys to real investing, I want to start with a topic that we have discussed almost ad nauseum, and yet I think it deserves even more attention. And that is this business of annuities as an investment. There are rare instances where an annuity as an investment makes sense. Most of those cases are for folks who want certainty of income in their retirement or for some other reason. Certainty of income. You are willing to give up your capital, hand it to an insurance company, and let them pay you a guaranteed income, as long as the insurance company stays in business, for the rest of your life or your life and someone else's life. There are variations on that theme. Those are called immediate annuities. They were what annuities originally were supposed to be, and they still are that. However, the insurance companies not content to leave well enough alone and be happy with the money they were making there, wanted to get into the investment business, but they didn't want their generally, oh, how can I put this nicely? Their generally less qualified sales force to have to go through the process of becoming registered representatives to sell the full array of securities, to take the Series 7 test and to get their brokerage licenses, their broker-dealer licenses. They just didn't want to bother with all that. So the insurance company and company should be companies. The insurance companies lobbied and got laws passed that allowed them to create annuity products that within them had investment vehicles. There were fixed-rate annuities, there were variable annuities, and then in the past decade or so, there came this wacky, hybrid, screwy product that should have been regulated as a security, but they lobbied Congress again to get it unregulated as a security that's called an indexed annuity, where they claim you can get the returns of the stock market with none of the risk, which is absolute, unadulterated B. And since I'm trying to keep this a family show, I'm just going to say B and S. It is unadulterated B and S. There is 
absolutely no way to get the returns of the stock market with none of the risk. Anybody who tells you that is lying. And if you're foolish enough to fall for it, more fool you. Well, the Labor Department several years ago tried to do what the Securities and Exchange Commission has been afraid to do, and that is put some sort of rule in place that requires anyone who gives investing or financial advice, advice on investing, to act in the best interests of the people they're advising. It's called the fiduciary standard. It was supposed to go into effect, and when it was going into effect, there was a dramatic result. The sales of these crappy annuities plunged. It plummeted because under the rule, they really didn't meet the requirement for fiduciary advice because they're, well, I call it liar life. And I call it liar life without any fear of retribution because the sales pitches are, in fact, lies. Oh, sure, they do the CYA bit in the disclosure documents that no one ever reads. <sighs> well, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal recently. Sales of variable and indexed annuities are skyrocketing again because these incompetent product peddlers are able to push them on the unsuspecting public with impunity. I'm trying to think of another P word to throw in there with plenty of impunity. <laughs> uh, they're selling like crazy. They're giving you these steak dinners. They're giving you these great lunches. They're taking you out. They're whining you and dining you. And then they're showing you the most misleading chart I've ever seen because I've gone to some of these pitches. It's the chart that shows the return of the S&P 500 over the past 15 or 20 years. And it shows you how badly it did and how long it took for the S&P 500 to recover after 2008 and 2001. Except they, ne they neglect it. This is that whole business of twisting the truth, lies, damned lies, and statistics, that, that deal. They neglected to include those little things called dividends that people who invest in the S&P 500 also get when they invest. Yeah, the actual value was way down for quite some time. But when you include the dividends, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as they made it seem in those charts. Then they tell you you can get the return of the stock market. Oh, no. You don't get the total return of the stock market. You don't get the dividends. Do you get the actual gains in the S&P 500? They imply that, but you don't. You get a reduced percentage of the gains. It's called a participation rate. And you only get that participation rate, which can be... 70, 80 percent of the return of the index, not the capital gains of the index, up to a cap. And they cap it because they don't want to have to pay you too much. Let's say the S&P 500 goes up 50 percent in a year. Well, they don't want to give you a 50 percent return. No, no, no. There's like an 8 percent cap. You can't make more than eight. OK, you can't make less than zero, but you can't make more than eight. And why do they sell these bloody things so hard? Yep. It's the money. The commissions are huge. I have seen commissions run 8 and 
and they claim you don't pay them. Well, absolutely you do. You pay it through a huge thing called a surrender fee. And I've seen surrender fees last for more than a decade and that were as high in the first year as 12% of the value. So you can't get out of the investment without paying them back the commission the insurance company paid them. So if you get one of these invitations to a free lunch or a free dinner where they're going to pitch you on a product that will give you the returns of the stock market with none of the risk, steal yourself. Sure, take advantage of their free dinner, but do not set up a meeting. Do not set up a meeting, and if you want, heckle them mercilessly after the meal, asking them, how do you get paid? Oh, the company pays me. No, 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 no. The company doesn't pay you. How does the company get paid then? Oh, I don't know. The company's through their profits. How do they get their profits? Is there a surrender fee? What are the actual fees and expenses of this? What's the maximum amount I can make every year? Ask questions, please. 855-935-TALK is our phone number. 855-935-8255. And that's the cue to go to the phones. Hi, guys. My question is, I am currently employed and filling up a Roth over at Vanguard, but I'm finding that I have enough to go beyond the 5,500 that I can put in the Roth. And I have my employer 401, basically retirement fund that I'm allowed to contribute to. They don't do any matching. So that's why I don't fill that primarily. But if I wanted to put a couple thousand dollars a year in it, it's a 403B that's like controlled fidelity and it kind of seems like I can just put it in the fund and put the money into whatever mutual funds at fidelity I want. The thing is I don't know what funds to put them in. So at Vanguard, I'm basically doing the things you guys advise to simplify my life and just do, you know, the total world stock index and then doing the bond fund as my bond pool. But I don't, I can't really tell looking at the descriptions of the mutual funds at fidelity, which ones are similar to that in the sense that they're low fee and they have the same kind of diversity or risk structure compared to the Vanguard funds. So if you guys could talk about if my money's at Fidelity, what do I do with it when it's there? Thanks, guys. Bye. For a minute, I thought you were going to tell me it was like in an annuity or something because far too many 403Bs offer annuities as options. Oh my gosh, do you think annuities are bad outside of a retirement account? They're even worse inside a retirement account. If you have a 403B and you have annuities, you need to call me. We get a, we got to figure something else out. You do not want to be in annuities in a 403B. But thankfully, in this case, you get fidelity. That's awesome. And if you have a choice of all of the fidelity funds, that's even awesomer. Fidelity doesn't have exactly the same funds, but it's easy to come pretty close. As a matter of fact, you could do a little tweaking, which might be kind of fun, might improve your returns somewhat because they have some pretty decent individual index products. I don't know how far you want to get into it. Probably not too far from what you said. So what I would probably do is take the equity portion of the portfolio and put it in the uh, half of it in the Fidelity International Index Fund, which will get you your international stocks. And then I would put the other half of the equity money in the Fidelity Total Market Index Fund. Both of those have very low fees. They're going to perform in line with Vanguard. They're they're great funds. They're awesome funds. And then if you have a bond portion, and I know you didn't say your age, 
if you're younger and, and you have a high degree of risk tolerance, you may not need much in the way of bonds. But at Fidelity, you're going to have the same kind of choices. You have the Fidelity Intermediate, for example, this would be probably be a great fund to look at, the Fidelity Intermediate Treasury Bond Index Fund. That gets you right into that intermediate term. We don't use bonds to generate income. Remember, we use bonds to bring about a higher degree of stability to reduce volatility. And that intermediate treasury bond isn't going to be horribly volatile. It is in treasury, so you have that 100% government safety. Doesn't yield much, but that's probably where I would put mine if I was in your position and was looking for bonds. Thanks so much for the call. 855-935-TALK is our number. 855-935-8255. And we are talking real money quick. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm Vestry at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. We continue the 10 keys to becoming a successful investor with number six. Real investors create diversified portfolios, but there's diversification and there's real diversification. Diversification isn't owning a handful of stocks or even the S&P 500. To create a properly diversified portfolio, you need to try to own as many of the stocks from the entire global market as possible in the riskier portion of your portfolio. To create a balanced portfolio for either your volatility needs or tolerance, most investors will keep some in high-quality, shorter-duration bonds. This is best accomplished using no-load, low-fee, passive mutual funds from firms like Vanguard, Dimensional, Fidelity, or Schwab. In addition, you should slightly overweight your equity exposure to those types of securities that have been scientifically shown to increase returns, such as small company or value stocks. From there, your real diversified portfolio should be regularly rebalanced to maintain diversification and only changed as your circumstances warrant. The keys to becoming a successful investor continue with key number seven. Danish physicist Niels Bohr once said, quote, prediction is very difficult, particularly if it's about the future. I'll take it one step farther. Accurately and consistently predicting the future isn't just hard, it's impossible. That applies to any means of predicting the financial future. Remember, as the 1990s drew to a close, investors were jubilant. The S&P 500 between 1990 and 2000 returned almost 18% per year on average. Then we suffered through two major declines between 2000 and 2010, and that decade was referred to as the lost decade because the S&P 500 lost an average of 1% per year. After that bad decade, who would have imagined that the next seven years would see the S&P 500 returning an average of almost 14% per year? Way back in the 6th century BC, Chinese philosopher Lao Cha had it figured out when he wrote, those who have knowledge don't predict. Those who predict don't have knowledge. Subscribe to free monthly email updates from the only magazine devoted to real investing, Real Investing Journal at realinvestingjournal.com. Before even thinking about investing, take a deep breath and chant the following mantra. It's all past tense. It's 
all past tense. This is critical to your ability to control the biggest enemy of investing, our emotions. After the market's been rising, we say the market is going up. After it's fallen, we say it is falling. In both cases, the way we think about what has happened influences our perception of the future. No one feels good about buying stocks that are falling, and we're excited when they are rising. Yet if you just change your thinking slightly, it's a great time to buy after stocks have already fallen, and it's still a good time to buy them after they've already risen, because historically they rise about 75% of the time. Investing emotionally is the reason why investors feel they rarely make money, and the research has borne that out as actual investor returns have tended to come out about 25 to 50 percent below the corresponding benchmark. Left unchecked, our emotions make us buy high and sell low, and that's a terrible way to make money. Time Magazine, they were known for their emotional financial covers. I mean, in 1992, they had a cover with a modern man selling apples to a Depression-era man with the headline, How Bad Is It? Years later, another cover showed a 1930s soup line with the caption, The New Hard Times. Today, someone in the news media is always telling you how to invest your money. Some try to entice you with rapid wealth. Why gold is poised to break $10,000 an ounce. Make 12% per month trading options. Others try to scare you. How to hedge against the coming crash. Ten bear market stocks to own now. Every hour of every day, you're bombarded with hot tips, bombastic outbursts, and complex and confusing jargon primarily designed to distract you from the potential problems and typically high fees associated with most of Wall Street's products and strategies. In the end, you'll likely do better ignoring them and sticking with a disciplined, sensible, real investing strategy. So ignore the financial news and get a financial plan. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm Vestry at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. When planning next year's vacation, you know that you can't possibly know what the weather will be like. You can reasonably assume that summer will be warmer than winter, and with a little research, find out whether you're visiting during a typically wet or dry season. But what you can't do is change the weather. You can only plan for eventualities. You plan for the worst and expect the best because the odds are in your favor and you can't change the future. When you invest, you can't know the future, period. Stock prices will fall, sometimes dramatically, but they've always risen far more than they've fallen. So plan for the worst, but expect to make money more often than you lose it. Focus on things you can control. Create a plan for your tolerance and need for risk. Overweight assets that have posted consistently higher returns in the past. Diversify globally across asset classes. Keep expenses and fees low and minimize taxes. Don't just take my word for it. Stanford professor and Nobel Prize winner William Sharp told Sensible Investing TV that his three rules of investing are diversify, 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 and then he gave three more. Keep costs low, keep costs low, keep costs low. You're listening to the Talking Real Money Quick podcast. I'm Don McDonald. Thanks very much for listening. I really appreciate you being there. By the way, quick programming note, next week we will have more than one podcast. This weekend we are only half preempted by college football, and so the first hour of the show will air on Saturday, November 3rd on Como from noon until 1 Pacific time, 3 until 4 Eastern. So you can call the show live at 855-935-TALK in that hour. 
or you can just listen to the podcast next week. You can also call the podcast anytime, 24 hours a day, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Or you can send your questions in at Talking Real Money. There's a contact form there, and that's where our next question comes from. Question is, well, actually, it's not the question. It's a statement to start with. My wife and I are 31 and both have access to Roth 403Bs through our employers. We currently maximize our Roth IRAs and have a combined $120,000 in Roth and about $15,000 in taxable accounts. We are doing our best to contribute ten dollars to $12,000 a year each into our work retirement accounts, but are not sure if we should go all in on the Roth accounts or have some flexible, taxable accounts mixed in. We make a combined $145,000 a year and have about $25,000 in debt at 2 and 3 quarter percent. Wow! We are also saving on the side for a house, not as an investment, good, and college, 529 for our growing family. What would you recommend for people around our age and situation? Wow! I wish I was as good about saving and investing in my 20s and 30s, early 30s as you guys are. Congratulations. Very impressed. Very impressed. If the money is for retirement, to your question about Roths, you should go all in on Roths. Absolutely. Far as you can go in, as long as in those 403Bs at work, you, like the caller in the first segment, have decent investment choices. That really is the key. If your investment choices are good, Roths are great. Roths are just the most magical thing ever because it doesn't matter what crazy stuff the government does with tax rates. That money comes out in retirement without paying any taxes on it. And you have flexibility because you and you're big savers because you don't have to take required minimum distributions. You can pass that money on to your kids even tax free. Ooh, nice. So, uh, yeah, I would go all in all in on Roths. Then once you max those out, which in your case is apparently likely, then go with some taxable accounts. If the money is for retirement, if you're sure you're going to leave it there until at least 59 and a half. Yeah, I'm good. I think it's great. Good work. You guys really excellent work. Kind of jealous in a way. Took me longer to get there. <laughs> 855-935-TALK. That's the number to call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to be a part of Talking Real Money Quick. And uh, we'll be back next week with more stuff on making money make sense and real live honest to goodness investing, not playing with your money. If you like the podcast, please, oh, please, oh, please spread the word. If you subscribe, it actually helps us. It does. It boosts us in the ratings for some reason. And Reviews are always appreciated. Thanks for listening. Take good care. I'm Don McDonald. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?